We typically preach through books of the Bible. We just finished the book of Galatians and we have just started the book of Acts. I'm going to start with verse 6 and go through verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as a result of your word being read and now expounded and applied, that you would help us to remember that we are your witnesses. And that I ask you would help us to uh, be effective in our witness for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This verse, verse 8, that is going to be the uh, subject of our uh, time this morning is the theme of the book of Acts. In fact, um, it gives you not only what's most important in terms of the theme, but it gives you also an outline for the entire book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapters 1 through 7, we see the church's witness in Jerusalem. And what I mean by this, uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in verse 8, where it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That's, that's the outline, and that's the movement in the book of Acts. So we see the witness of the church in Acts 1 through 7 uh, in Jerusalem. We see the witness of the church in Judea and Samaria in Acts 8 through 11. And then we see the church's witness to the ends of the then known earth in Acts chapters 12 through 28. This verse here is just a restatement of the Great Commission. You you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. And so remember, you can hear the echoes of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. All of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, have uh, some form of the Great Commission uh, near the end of the Gospel showing us uh, how much of a priority this Great Commission is. So in Mark 16, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. The last chapter of Luke, Jesus told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are, my, or you are witnesses of these things, 
I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And even in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The point I'm driving at here is Jesus' last command while He was on earth must be our first concern as we are here on on this earth as His followers. His last command must be our first concern. But it's really difficult to keep this as our first concern. Why is it so difficult when the Scriptures have been at pains to emphasize how important it is for we to be His witnesses going out into all the world? Well, I've got an outline on the back of uh, your bulletin that you can use. And... um, I've got three points on why it is very difficult. These three reasons um, or temptations can be summarized into one reason, and that is our um, our over focus on our own concerns. So these um, these three temptations we'll look at uh, briefly. But there is a persistent temptation of the church to focus on her own concerns. And I've got three temptations listed here. The temptation of parochialism. And I'm not trying to, to impress you with fancy words. I didn't know what parochialism was. Uh, I read it in the commentary and I thought, what does that mean? I looked it up. And what it means is the quality or state of being parochial. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) Uh, Especially being selfish or being petty or being narrow in regard to one's interests, opinions, or views. And so parochialism is a fancy way of saying uh, being overly concerned about oneself. So in verse 6... Uh, Just to remember from last week, Jesus has risen from the dead, of course. He has been with the disciples. He has been with them for 40 days. He has been teaching them, verse 3, about the kingdom of God. And so he has been teaching them about the Great Commission. He has been teaching them about their need to be his his witnesses. He's been teaching them not to be overly concerned about themselves, but to make their concern the lost who do not know Jesus. And so right before Jesus is taken up into heaven, their last question, which I think shows there's their primary concern, is found in, in verse 6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And if you remember from the, the Gospels, remember how eager the disciples were to know who among his disciples would be sitting at his right hand when he restored the kingdom. Remember James and John, their mother came and approached Jesus. Will you put James and John at your right hand? In other words, what they're concerned about is their authority when Jesus sets up his worldwide kingdom here on earth. They're concerned about themselves. 
And Jesus, showing great patience, said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. In other words, He's got the authority. You don't need to be worrying about your own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He completely ignores their question about the kingdom um, being restored to Israel. He completely ignores their notions of self-aggrandizement as being the the kings or the vice-regents over his kingdom. And he simply says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's so easy to be self-focused. Even when you have a kingdom focused, it's almost like our hearts are, are tied to a rubber band and we look outside ourselves to go and serve someone else. But before we know it, the elastic of that rubber band is pulling us back to our own concerns. It's hard to see outside of our own circumstances. It's so easy to be drawn inward, to be self-focused. One of my pastor friends talks about how it is his chief concern to give the church a balance. And I think you've seen me do this before. It's probably been two or three years now or more. And he talks about there ought to be a balance between the church being a safe home, a ministry to its own people, and a ministry um, to the lost. And there should be that balance. He said the problem is that line there, that the balance uh, that you're seeking to achieve is on a tilt because of our because of our self-concern. And he says he feels like a pastor pushing the rock up the hill to try and achieve that balance. But the very moment that he begins, he takes his eye off the ball. The very moment he begins to relax. The very moment he thinks they're almost there. The, the church tilts back again and he feels like the ball is rolling back down to the bottom of the hill and so he says that is his his task to push that rock uphill in fact he, he says he's accused sometimes of being overly concerned with outreach and he says all I'm trying to do is achieve the balance that he sees in scripture I struggle here as well um I think this congregation struggles. Uh, I think we, we allow ourselves to be tilted here. What concerns me most is my own lack of struggle in this regard and our own lack of struggle as a congregation. That we feel a little comfortable here. Being faithful in our witness, being faithful in our outreach is not convenient. It doesn't benefit us. Rather, it benefits those we are seeking to minister to. Someone said one time that the Christian church is the one organization in the world that exists purely for the benefit of non-members. Someone else said one time that the church that lives for itself will die by itself. Do you believe that? 
the reason I ask this question is because it leads us into this next temptation that causes us to focus on our own concerns, and that's the temptation of unbelief. We live in a very spiritually dry culture. I thought Georgia, South Carolina, where I grew up, was spiritually dry. Those of you who live in, who are from the Northeast say you haven't seen dryness until you've been up in, in Boston or, or Maine or other places like that. But we live, all of us, we live in a spiritually dry culture. Kennedy Smart, who uh, actually taught D. James Kennedy uh, how to do evangelism, said this. He said, many congregations and their pastors have simply lost the hope that they could be used in their communities. They have tried an evangelistic program and it failed. And now they do not believe that anything will work in their community. Jack Miller, who is one of my heroes um, in the faith, I love reading his books. He says, I am convinced that many congregations and their leaders are immobilized by unbelief. There's this temptation to think that we can't make an effort, we can't make an impact um, when what we are called to is to believe. It's right here in verse 8. And especially, and if you you say, well, that's a one-time occurrence where you can look at the Great Commission. All authority has been given to King Jesus. And he has promised his authority and his power to us. If we are not seeing people come to Christ, we cannot lose hope. We need to go more fervently in prayer. And I'll say more about that in a moment. There's also a temptation to comfortableness. Um, Jack Miller, again, he calls the he he refers to the church uh, as a religious cushion. In fact, he said that when he was a pastor, or early in his ministry, before God brought him to repentance, he was the chief cushioner. He says the local church was intended by Jesus to be a gathering of of people full of faith, strong in their confidence in Christ, not a gathering of religious folk who desperately need reassurance. Perhaps seeking personal comfort is not wrong in itself, but is desperately wrong when it becomes the primary reason for the existence of the local church. He says in his experience, many churches have become retreat centers where anxious people draw resources that enable them merely to cope with the pains of life. And then he goes further. As he's, he, he talked about liberal churches. He talked about other different types of churches. He says, among conservatives and evangelicals, the church's primary mission all too often is to function as a preaching station for Christians gathered to hear the gospel preached to the unconverted, to be reassured that the liberals are mistaken, and to renew one's sense of well-being without having a serious encounter with the living God. And as I said, Miller went on to become sick of himself because he realized that he was the chief cushion giver in the church. We live in a dry culture. It is temptation, tempting to think that we can't make a difference, to think that the gospel will not make a difference.
and it's a very easy fallback position to rest on our laurels. But we need to hear Christ when He says to His disciples, But you. They were saying, We're going to be kings of the earth, vice regents under Christ. But He says to them, But you. He says to us this morning, But you. Your commission given by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is to be His witnesses. We need to be able to look outside of ourselves to be His witnesses. Our self-identity as His witnesses must grow. It's very appropriate for us to have a self-identity as being a child of God. It's also appropriate for us to have a a self-identity as being justified sinners. But alongside that, we must have a self-identity that we are Christ's witnesses. To help you along with that, uh, I want to refer you to the word witness in the Greek. The word witness is martyreo. You recognize it, uh, recognize in that word the word martyr. A martyr is a witness. Now, it doesn't mean that if we're going to be Christ's witnesses that we have to be killed for our faith. But I think what it shows us is that at some level we need to be dying to ourselves so that Christ can use us to be his witnesses. So we need to look outside ourselves, but in looking outside ourselves, we need to also look immediately around us. Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, our witness must grow in concentric circles. Look immediately around us. What is our Jerusalem? Look to our Judea, our Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We need to grow in our outreach here. And I think that will help us be more effective in our our outreach to the ends of the earth. Um, We have an effective missions program here, especially compared to many of the churches around our denomination. When I was uh, in Gulf Coast Presbyterian, up Panama Beach area, I was on the missions committee uh, for the Presbytery, and one of our tasks was to call through each church and find out what their missions program consisted of. Ask, you know, what they gave in regard to missions. It was unbelievable how few churches gave anything to missions. The church that David Crabtree grew up in, uh, McElwain Presbyterian, over in Pensacola. I will give them, to use the vernacular, some props. They were very faithful in their witness. I remember talking to them and being very encouraged. And we give, what is it, 10% of our budget? Is that 15% of our budget to, to missions? But giving to missions 
cannot be a substitute for ourselves being a mission and being Christ's witnesses here in Brandon um, to our friends, to our neighbors, to, um, to our co-workers, to our relatives. You are Christ's witnesses. And Christ has supplied everything we need to be effective in our witness. And that's the third and last point. The Holy Spirit, He lives inside us. And what is He doing? He is making us more like Jesus. Why is He making us more like Jesus? So that uh, we will display His glory. And not simply display our glory to his glory to each other, but to display his glory to a watching world. He is making us more like him so that our character will match our testimony. Charles Spurgeon said tongue in cheek one time, he told a story about a pastor who was so eloquent when he was in the pulpit that no one wanted him to come down from the pulpit. But his, char- his character was so uh, so bad, so devoid of anything good, that once he climbed down from the pulpit, they never wanted him to climb back up. We are Christ's witnesses. That witness is more powerful when our day-to-day lives, when our characters match our testimony. The Holy Spirit is developing us, developing in us Christ's character so that we will be effective as His witness. The Holy Spirit also gives us power to witness powerfully. This, this couldn't be said any clearer in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now think about this with me. The disciples had spent three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, was, he died on the cross. He was resurrected. And then for 40 days after his resurrection, he was with them every day, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And they saw, indeed, that, they, that he had been resurrected. Thomas even put his, his hands into uh, the holes in Jesus' palms. They were witnesses of his resurrection. And yet, what is Jesus saying in verse 8? He is saying, still, after three years, after seeing me resurrected, and after spending 40 days being instructed at my feet, you are still not qualified to be my witnesses. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. They need power. Someone has said that 95% of what happens in many evangelical churches could be done without the Holy Spirit. Ajith Fernando, in his commentary on Acts, is the best commentary I've ever read, by the way. Uh, I'm enjoying it so much. He says this, Many people will come to churches attracted by the comprehensive program the church offers. People want a weekly religious dose, and in our entertainment-oriented culture, a church that provides an entertaining program will attract people, just like a good concert or sporting event will attract people. But Christian ministry is ministry in the Spirit. Without the Spirit's power, our excellent programs are ultimately futile. Well, then the question is, well, how do we get this power? Well, 
I think the way we get this power is the same way that the early disciples got their power. So what did they do when Jesus said, wait? What did they do? We'll look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. After Jesus was ascended up into heaven, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, of course. Uh, he had already spilled his guts, literally speaking, uh, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What were they doing? They were praying. Jesus said, wait, and they didn't sit on their hands. They folded them together in prayer. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. He helps us in prayer. Romans chapter 8 says we don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Holy Spirit helps us with groans and utterances that cannot even be uttered. He helps us. I can tell you story after story of how when my prayer life has been clicking as it should, how people actually come to me um, to hear the gospel even before I get to go out the fact that people don't come to me more often shows you how much that I struggle or my lack of struggle in prayer how much room I have to grow Uh, I had two um, two college students that were my interns one summer up in South Carolina and all we were to do was to pray and then go door to door. We just wanted, the church wanted to see what would happen if we went door to door and um, and built an evangelism program just on that very unimaginative um, uh, platform. And so we would get together, we'd pray for an hour, hour and a half. These guys would were just phenomenal in prayer. And uh, then we'd go out and we'd get to talk to people about Christ. You wouldn't believe the reception we got. And if we went a couple of days without someone uh, coming to Christ, then we'd go back and we'd start fasting. And then people wouldn't come to Christ. Um, and uh, then on our last day together, we got together. It was like 5 in the morning and prayed till like 6.30. And then we went to breakfast together. And we were just sitting having breakfast. And a guy walks up to us and started telling dirty jokes. And we are just looking at him. We didn't say anything. Just, who are you? He said, God's done it to me again, I bet. He said, are you Christian? He said, yes, we are. And uh, he said, I need to talk to you about God then. (laughs) So we went out, he and I went out in the parking lot and talked about Christ. Uh, And I said, Lord, when I'm faithful in prayer, you cause the fish to jump into the boat. God delights to answer prayer for the lost more than any other prayer. That is the whole reason Jesus came to earth, to seek and to save the lost. 
let me encourage you as we close. Commit your, your life to praying for the lost. Find three people that God has laid on your heart. In fact, ask Him to lay three people on your heart and pray for those people. Watch what happens. I know one of the things that happens is you become aware of your every conversation with them and begin uh, looking for those openings because you know that God is hearing your prayers in their behalf. And I'd love to hear the stories back as God begins answering those prayers. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have equipped us to be your witnesses. Father, sometimes we are tempted not to thank you for that calling because we would much rather sit on our cushions rather than inconvenience ourselves for the lost. And even when we want to go out and share our faith, Father, we don't always get a, um, a pleasant reception. Father, I believe that it is Satan himself that lays these snares before us, that lays these fears before us, that causes us to look to our own interests rather than uh, to the interest of Christ and the lost for whom he came uh, to seek and save. Father, we thank you that someone looked outside themselves to preach Christ to us. Help us to be faithful in going out. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.